Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Well, welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we have a jam-packed show for you this afternoon. Of course, it's the White Sox and Indians in Game 2 of a three-game set. The White Sox are back home, and it's nice to have them here for a six-game homestand. Lost last night. Corey Kluber was absolutely fantastic for the Indians. He shook off whatever was ailing him in the early parts of this season through a complete game shutout, the fourth of his career for the White Sox. Jose Quintana was much better than he'd been in uh, overall over, over the first three starts of this season. So good to see Jose hopefully kick some rust off and he'll get back to being Jose Quintana, the Jose Quintana that we've seen here uh, over about 950-some innings as a White Sox. Lots to do this afternoon. Let me get to you the particulars of what we're up to, give you a chance to get involved with the show. we got a lot of interviews, a lot of guests, a lot of good stuff from the White Sox after their first two weeks, their first really 15 games of the season. We're game 16 this afternoon. Uh, we are going to... Speak with White Sox reliever Tommy Canely. He's throwing the ball 100 miles an hour, so it was tough, but we caught up with him and sat down for a couple minutes, got to know Tommy Canely some. Rachel Brady has an interview on White Sox Weekly every single weekend. Uh, she's got Miguel Gonzalez today. They spoke the day after Miguel threw, what was it, 86 pitches in eight and a third innings against the Yankees, probably the best outing of his career. So Rachel figured she'd uh, lob a call into Miguel and chat a little bit about pitching and life and whatnot. Uh, James Fegan of The Athletic is going to join us a little bit later on in the show. James just wrapped up a tour of a couple of White Sox minor league affiliates. Got to see guys like Yoan Mancata and Zach Collins and Lucas Giolito. So James will be our minor league report for the afternoon. We always like to bring you what's going on in the White Sox farm system. And today we've got a well, we've got an eyewitness for you. James Fiegel will sit down with us a little bit later on. Uh, he is a fantastic baseball writer, and you can find his stuff at The Athletic. Um, shameless plug as it is. He's, uh, he's very, a lot of those writers are pretty good. They know what they're doing over there. Great spot for White Sox analysis and writing and news and information and stuff uh, when you're not listening to White Sox Weekly, that is. J.J. Stankovitz, who does a fantastic job on CSN Chicago, is going to hang out with us as well. That'll be around 5 o'clock or so. Uh, J.J. talked with Nate Jones, who is the only remaining White Sox teammate of Philip Umber from when he threw his perfect game in Seattle. That was five years ago yesterday. James, uh, J.J. rather has a couple of interesting stories from Jones about that day. I certainly remember where I was. I wasn't even in the state, but was watching that game with interest uh, via the the MLB.tv app. I hooked it up and uh, was out of state and watching that ball game when I heard what Philip Umber had going on. Uh, We'll also hear from Todd Steverson, the White Sox hitting coach. We'll hear from James Shields as well because the White Sox have made a couple of roster moves, and I suppose that's, uh, that's the news we'll start with here on White Sox Weekly. Oh, I, I suppose I do have to give you uh, the way to get a hold of us. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. You can, as always, leave us messages there in the mailbag, and we'll give out a phone number here in a couple of minutes that you can give us a call on and chat with us on this uh, nice little Saturday afternoon. A little chilly, but a good day for baseball. A lot of sunshine out here at the ballpark. The wind kind of blowing lazily from left field to right field. We'll see where that ends up toward game time. 6-10 start for these White Sox and Indians. Pre-game show, of course, starts at 535. We'll have everything for you then. Ed and DJ get things 
at 6 o'clock. Um, that's pretty much all the news and notes we have. do have to let you know, though, that you can come out to the park on April 24th through the 26th. White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals. All fans in attendance receive a 2017 wall calendar featuring White Sox legends, including Frank Thomas, Mark Burley, and Paul Canerco. Purchase your tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAMES. A couple of moves for the White Sox here as uh, as we got into last night and, uh, and this morning, too. James Shields has been put on the 10-day disabled list. He's got a lat strain, and we've got a couple of minutes of, of chat with James Shields and the White Sox beat coming up in just a few minutes here. We'll hear from him about where he's at and what the conversation was like, what he expects from his 10 days on the DL. It's been a good start to the season for James Shields. The breaking ball has worked. The changeup has been down. And for the most part, strikeouts have had uh, have been up. The fastball has gotten a couple swings and misses as well. Encouraging stuff from James over the first few starts of his 2017 season. So sad to see him put on the DL. But hopefully it won't be all that long a stint. To take his place this afternoon in the rotation, or this evening I should say, Mike Pelfrey comes up from AAA. He, of course, was uh, around with the Tigers and before that with the Mets, I believe, in uh, and starting ball games. Saw him come into the clubhouse today. He got here, oh, I don't know, right around 2.30 or so. He walked, well, might have been in the ballpark earlier, but he walked into the clubhouse about 2.30 and had that look, you know, just looking around, trying to figure out where everybody is and where he needs to be and say hello to everybody. Big guy, Mike Pelfrey, 6'7", big dude. Uh, so he'll make his major league uh, debut for 2017 today. We'll let you know what to expect and hear from him a little bit uh, later on in the in the afternoon or certainly in the postgame show in case he's got a couple things to take care of, you know, getting ready for a start this afternoon against the tough Cleveland Indians lineup. Um, Kevin Smith has been sent to AAA Charlotte. That's to make room for Giovanni Soto. Soto is a go and in the lineup today. He'd missed 10 games with a um, with some inflammation in his elbow. Uh, his throwing elbow seems to be, you know, fine now and, and ready to go. He was throwing, watched him throw the bases uh, yesterday as we got ready for baseball, and things seemed fine. He checked off the list. He had a hot start to the season, only 15 at bats so far before he was put on the DL, uh, but he'd hit three home runs already. So the power is certainly there for Geo to start. 267, 389, 867, the number there. And for a lineup that's been looking for some consistency and a lineup that's been looking to get a little bit longer when you're facing opposing pitchers. Hopefully Giovanni Soto brought that bat back to the lineup today, and we'll see a little bit more punch from this White Sox lineup. Certainly looking for a couple of runs. Shut up by Corey Kluber yesterday. They get a go against Carlos Carrasco this evening. So, uh, oh, one last roster move for the White Sox. Charlie Tilson in order to make room for uh, either way you want to look at it, whether that's Soto or Pelfrey to come up. Uh, Charlie Tilson transferred to the 60-day disabled list. Doesn't change his time frame all that much. Rick Hahn talked with reporters yesterday, and we covered some of this on the postgame show, but in case you missed it, doesn't change Charlie Tilson's time frame all that much. He did get the walking boot off just the other day, but as far as his return to baseball activities go and his um, – he hasn't started what what the White Sox have termed load-bearing activities, so you know stuff like running or you know that kind of hitting, I guess. So all that stuff's going to wait a little while. Time frame for Charlie still what it was, maybe you know a month or so before he gets back into baseball stuff. So it might be a while for him. Uh, but in order to make room for all these moves, Charlie Tilson 
goes to the 60-day disabled list. All right, we've uh, we've talked about it long enough. Time to bring it to you. James Shields spoke with reporters just about half an hour ago. We bring it to you here on White Sox Weekly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very mild, so it's nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, you know, I tried to pitch through the last start and, and uh, ended up getting through the start. You know, actually pitched pretty well, um, but didn't really feel comfortable out there at all. Uh, so we tried to do some things, uh, you know, in between this last start, and uh, it just wasn't feeling good yesterday, so decided to uh, take a few days off. You had uh, any lap problems in the past? This is my first uh, first time ever on the DL, so... I'm, uh, you know, I posted every every start in my career, so it's kind of it's kind of a rough one for me. You know, it's been a while, been a long time. You know, um, but you know, sometimes you got to go go through that. You probably pitch through pain. Uh, I mean, every you know, any pitcher that's pitched 20 years professionally probably has pitched through that a great deal in their career. Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've pitched through a lot of pain in my career. Um, you know, this is just this is just something that normally I I, I, uh, I fight through it and and, and pitch with it. You know, um, but this is just one of those things where, you know, I didn't want to hinder the team um, by me going out there. And in case anything happened in the first inning, I was going to tax our bullpen. Uh, there's a lot of intangibles that kind of went through it. Um, you know, I tried to try to make it all the way to the last day, and, and it just wasn't feeling good yesterday. So. Did, did you throw a bullpen on the off day, or did you try to throw a bullpen on the off day? Or No, I did not. What, uh, what can't you do? Is it like extension? Is it like loading up? It's just not bother. It's just it's just not feeling great when I'm when I'm throwing. So, yeah. As far as um, you know, you talked to some of the beat guys on the road about how you threw more breaking balls recently. Um, you think any of that went into it? Or? No. Um, I actually was working on all that all spring training. You know, so um, like I said, this is just something that just came up uh, right before my last start. Um, you know, and I and uh, but as far as my pitch selection and stuff like that, no, no, I've been, I feel like I've, uh, you know, I've, I've done well this season so far. Um, you know, and I, I want to continue that. This uh, group's been uh, battling their tails off here. Um, I know you guys aren't surprised, but you, you guys have surprised a lot of other people. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, look, we're in every game. You know, I mean, I think there's maybe one or two games this year that we haven't really been in. And, uh, you know, that's a testament of our, our pitching staff, um, you know, and, and we're not we're not really playing on all cylinders right now, which is and we're, and we're in the thick of things. So which is a good it's good news. You know, once uh, once our hitters start getting going, um, you know, our bullpen's done a phenomenal job coming out of the bullpen and getting their their job done. Um, and uh, and the starting pitching's done a great job of setting the tone. So, um, you know, we're going to try to continue to do what we're doing out here and uh, go, move, go move forward. From an emotional standpoint, how, how tough is, is this? This being your first time on the DL. Uh, I mean, it's 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 tough. It's always tough. You know, um, no matter what. I mean, nobody wants to go on the DL, um, especially me. I'm not that guy. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to make my start as much as I possibly can, and I, and, um, I did everything I possibly could to try to make this start. So. Um, you know, it's it is it is tough for me, but you know, again, uh, I guess a 12, 12 season run, you know, not being on the deal is pretty good. And we'll try to make another little run here. So the first stint to the disabled list for James Shields, he had made three starts this season, gone into the sixth in each of them, finished the sixth, I believe it was six plus into the seventh, in his final start, the uh, the one he talked about where he, this lat issue started bugging him. That was against Minnesota. 16 and two-thirds innings. He'd walked 10, but he'd struck out 16. He'd given up three home runs. 
Um, I believe all of them solo shots, if memory serves. So the numbers and performance and production, oh, batting average against, by the way, 153. Slugging against, 339. And the BABIP, of course, I mean, obviously, early, small sample size, and you figure, you know, regression, all that word. Uh, But the BABIP, 150. He'd drawn a lot of weak contact, I think, when he uh, had been on, when the pitches had been where they wanted to be. And, of course, for anybody, you leave them up, you put them in the middle of the zone, you're going to get tagged a little bit harder. So a good start for James Shields comes to a bit of a bump in the road. A lat issue puts him on the 10-day disabled list. Figured we'd bring you the latest uh, from him. You heard him talk. He, he doesn't want to be on the disabled list. I mean, a guy like that with a track record like that, it probably would have been awesome for him to be able to go. Obviously, there are other goals, I guess, in a career. But to be able to go an entire career without hitting the disabled list as a starting pitcher is pretty incredible. Uh, there aren't many uh, that can say that. James was angling to be one of the guys. Turned out he was not. Uh, but hopefully it's a quick, quick stint on this disabled list. Mike Pelfrey up to make the start for the White Sox this evening against the Indians. Of course, we'll bring you that game at 6:10. Pre-game show at 5:35. This is White Sox Weekly. We'll take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to get our minor league report on. We've got an eyewitness from down in the Carolina leagues and traveling the traveling the highways and byways of America. We'll talk to James Vegan of the Athletic next. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. What the hell's going on out here? White Sox Weekly Farm Report. We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove, and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Candlesticks always make a nice gift, and uh, maybe to find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or maybe a silverware kind of stuff. On WLS AM 890. Okay, let's get to Welcome back to White Sox Weekly, live at Guaranteed Rate Field this afternoon. We've got ourselves a full boat show heading up to the 535 pregame extravaganza. Welcome back. I'm Connor McKnight, and you can come out to the park April 24th. No, we told you that already, but you should come out April 24th through the 26th. Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Padres Friday, May 13th at 6.10 p.m. First 20,000 fans will receive a Hawk Harrelson alarm clock presented by Total Lubricants. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. We're joined live by James Fegan of The Athletic. You can find all his stuff on that website, The Athletic, which I believe theathletic.com, right? You guys have a pretty simple website for everything. I think it's all set up. There's, there's no trick to it. Good, good. That's, a, that's probably a smart marketing plan. Or you can find him on Twitter at JRFegan. James, a trip through the minor leagues. Uh, what were the most interesting stops for you? Where were you at? Update us on, on what you saw. Well, I just spent uh, two nights each in Winston-Salem and uh, Charlotte seeing uh, uh, the Dash and uh, the AAA team, uh, the Knights. I think if I had a moment that I'll probably be talking about 30 years from now, <laughs> it was uh, seeing Jan Mankata rip like the second pitch of the game when I was at. I, I don't even know how to explain why it was so like transcendently impressive to see a ball that like I instantaneously knew was gone, instantaneously knew was like, hammered like beyond like the seats and like the bat speed was just like so intense i know like previously i like thought scouts sounded ridiculous when they talk about shirts just exploding at them and like coming out at them and you know from our perspective all we can do is scout the stat line a whole lot but it was just a moment where you saw this guy's like raw power and speed and just like we're astounded it wasn't even like from a any kind of like it trumped any kind of fan experience i had back before i was you know reporter it's just like 
this is an incredible thing I've just witnessed. Well, you've you've seen, I mean, you've you've talked to scouts and stuff, and that's the way you know they get all kind of giddy and just all goofy when they start talking about tools like that. Mankata is one of those guys. I mean, scouts will gush about that type of skill set, and it's pretty clear that it's as evident as it can be with him. Yeah, there was a play uh, later in the game, like his shortstop fell down and was having trouble getting the ball out of his glove, so they were running behind on trying to turn a little play, and he kind of got a feed out. And Mankata barehanded the ball out of the air, and then it seemed—it was like watching a video where all of a sudden the speed of the video sped up. Mm. The way he turned around just flung it in one motion down over the first base. So I would say the power and throwing arm are as advertised. You're not, you're not going to have some sort of uh, disappointment about how that, how that looks in person because it looks insane. What What is it then that, I mean, you talked with him, you talked with, with coaches, I'm sure. What, are there specifics that he's working on at this point at AAA that Yohan Mankata, the number one prospect in all of baseball, is is trying to hammer away at? Or is this just, you know, do we, do we chalk this up to seasoning that we hear about a lot? You know, he would. If you ask him about something he's getting, uh, trying to work on or trying to hammer out, he doesn't really open up about that. You, I asked him directly about, like, strikeouts. Is he worried about that? He says he's not going to change any part of his game to try to reduce that. He's, you know, working on swing all the time, working on his approach all the time, but he's not, he's not panicking or trying to rework his game to right. eliminate strikeouts because he says that's something that's just going to happen every game. And that's not, I mean, that's not intrinsically alarming. He does take his walks. I mean, he does seem to have a fairly discerning eye at the plate. He has an extremely discerning eye yeah. at the plate. At, at this point, I would say it's natural swing and miss. I mean, obviously, there's some chasing. Sure. He's not, you know, uh, just the most patient hitter in the world, but it, it's not him expanding the zone in fastballs. It's a lot of off-speed stuff and just getting tricked. And the second game I watched him, he actually struck out three times, and a lot of his on sliders down and in mm-hmm. that they threw on him. And that's obviously a thing that he's going to have to work on that he's definitely vulnerable at right now. At the same time, the way Mancada's approach is, if you miss an inch or two up on that slider, it's gone. So it's kind of a, a risque game to, like, to try to work him that way because anything that's in his hitting zone that he triggers on is damaged. He's James Fegan of The Athletic. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We're taking our – this is our minor league report for the afternoon. Figured we'd talk to a guy who's actually seen these players within the last couple of weeks. You also saw or, or talked with or saw both Fulmer, Carson Fulmer and Lucas Giolito pitch. I know you talked with them both. I talked with them both right after the starts, which is okay. kind of the nice thing about AAA baseball. You can go and basically talk to the guy alone by himself for 10 minutes after a game and kind of go through every little stage of the pit uh, sure. that they went through. Um, Fulmer and Giolito kind of had opposite outings. Fulmer had a really rough first inning. And what I came away impressed with was how he kind of shrugged that off and went through the night uh, executing a game plan. He wasn't overwhelming. He wasn't just, you know, racking up strikeouts. He wasn't Michael Kopech out there. You didn't see him and see this is a future number one starter. But he saw a guy who was really smart. He threw a lot of sinkers. He kept the ball on the ground. Uh, he knew how to change eye levels with his fastball. He, you know, he's been working on two-seamer. Because, you know, he's a White Sox pitcher, so right. of course he has a two-seamer. He's also, he's also elevating his fastball a lot. He talked about, you know, working a bit of a cutter. He he seemed like a guy who knew how to pitch. And, you know, that's not – when you say this guy knows how to pitch about a minor league prospect, often that's, a, you know, a code word for them not having top stuff. Sure. But I think he – with the velocity – stuff has never been really the question of them. It's repeatability. And the way he kind of ironed his delivery out over the course of the night I think would be really encouraging. I don't think he's going to uh, make us – scrub memories of Chris Sale from the records, but 
you saw the seeds of somebody who could be effective uh, consistently because they have multiple tools to work with and they adapt to the situation. Well, Fulmer seems like an interesting guy to me because, you know, you look through his tutelage through baseball. You know, his high school coach had some renown. He goes to Vanderbilt where they, if they know anything, it's how to get pitchers to the big leagues more or less. The track record there is massive. I mean, even going back to a guy like I, I, with Jeremy Sowers, maybe the last, you know, number one type guy who didn't work out from Vanderbilt that, or at least to have, you know, a pretty decent cup of coffee in the league. And now he's in this White Sox system that knows how to get themselves pitchers to work. Does he, you know, as he's kind of re- refined his stuff in his uh, arsenal, I guess, has he become, do, does he realize that he's become a different guy? I don't think he would probably phrase it as he's been transformed or they've undone his game. I mean, he came out of the draft with a, he- a fastball that had a ton of natural life on yeah. it. And he knows that's still his best pitch, and he's still going to work extremely fastball heavy. And that was a notable thing about him in the first couple of innings, uh, and that he's going to ride on that pitch. But he's definitely taking the adjustments and all the little you know, typical White Sox hints about staying upright. And uh, they kind of slowed down his delivery but didn't want to slow it down uh, entirely. And he, he knows he needs to find a middle space between that. Sure. So he's still the Carson Fulmer they drafted, but he, he's definitely taking the adjustments to kind of assuage the doubts that were had about the Carson Fulmer that they drafted being able to stick in the rotation. Uh, you saw Giolito, too, and I, you mentioned yesterday to me that uh, he was he's very curveball heavy in that game and probably maybe wanted to be more so. I wonder if you can touch on where where he's at, what you saw him do, and why that curveball is so impressive. I mean, the curveball, I don't think we really saw it at its full strength at any point in spring training, and it was just a hammer. He got eight strikeouts, and at least the last four of them were just uh, popping the thing in the middle of the zone and no one could touch it. And that is very much the Giolito that is the stuff of prospect legend that everyone heard about. A guy mm-hmm. with you know three uh, you know near eighty pitches. The fastball velocity is not top shelf like it used to be. He did touch ninety five uh, in the first inning, but the consistency it kind of bled out velocity a little bit towards the end. And really, the last two innings where he acknowledged that his mechanics started to slip up. Uh, back away from what the White Sox have been trying to build. It was a lot more 90-92. Sure. He's throwing a lot flatter, and he got hurt for a couple home runs. Not a stretch, both by major leaguers. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. takes a lot of people deep. So yeah, no kidding. it wasn't the most embarrassing thing. But it was definitely the first four starts where he saw not maybe full G. Leo, but definitely a guy you know has a decent fastball. We knew he has the changeup. That was more of a factor in his previous start, but had a huge, big hammer curve uh, and – that guy can definitely, you know, exist in the majors. We only saw four innings of it, and we only saw four innings of it because the consistency kind of came away. But knowing that he's a guy who they're trying to overhaul his mechanics completely, and mm-hmm. I've talked to scouts and said this could take all season. For him to be at this stage at three starts, it's not bad at all. James, appreciate you hanging out, man. Thanks for uh, dropping the knowledge on us, and they can they can find all this stuff on The Athletic, right? I mean, the, the app, the website, the Twitter handle, too, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have did a ton of interviews. I, I Half my stuff, talking to Ronaldo Lopez, Zach Berti, Alex Call, is not even written yet, so we're going to have a ton of more stuff. Awesome. Thanks a ton. Appreciate you stopping by. He's James Fegan of The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter, at Fegan. Take a quick break. we got the 4 o'clock news coming up and plenty more. On White Sox Weekly, we had a chat with Todd Steverson yesterday, getting into why Avi Garcia has been the guy he's been to start this season. This is WLS AMA 90. 
Hey, it's Big John and Ray with a busy week coming up in Washington. Trump stepping up to the plate, going to take another whack at health care. And we're talking about the budget. Monday morning, Big John and Ray, WLSAM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLSAM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We got you up until the start of the pregame show. That's 535, of course. Uh, and we've got plenty to do before we get there. 312 uh, 312-591-8900 is the phone number you can reach us at. Uh, if that's wrong, somebody will yell at me in my headphones. But 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can hit us on Twitter, too. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. You get at us, and we like to get your thoughts here on the show. A couple of people uh, reaching out and letting us know that our interview with James Fegan just a couple of minutes ago was a pretty good one. That had everything to do with James and likely nothing to do with me. You can find all his stuff at Athletic. I, I do think, and I've, I've said this before, and I don't mean this as just like eyewash or fake hustle or whatever, um, but the the White Sox fan is a very lucky one in that there are a lot of really good people covering this team, a lot of really smart writers who care a lot about this team and care a lot to get the info out, uh, whether it's a guy like James in The Athletic, whether it's Merkin at MLB. Scott Merkin at MLB.com, uh, or whether it's you know the guys at Southside Sox, or whether it's uh, sorry the guys and girls at Southside Sox. I mean, it's just there are a lot of people writing some good stuff about this club, and you can uh, you can find it in a bunch of different places. And we like it that you follow us for the info on the show and uh, and on the website as well, wlsam.com, and you can just uh, or or hit wlsam.com/slash/whitesocks, and all of our stuff is up there. I write a column, and we've got. Uh, well, I can't give it away right away, but I will tease and just say that we got uh, something extra coming to the website this season that we're very excited about. That announcement will probably be, well, it'll be before the White Sox take off from Guaranteed Rate Field. It'll definitely be before they leave the ballpark. So by the middle or end of next week, we'll have our our big news. I'm very excited about it. I think you should be, too adding something to our, our website coverage that I think you'll be a big fan of over at WLSAM.com slash White Sox. As for this afternoon and on the show, we got a lot more to do, but you are, are always welcome uh, via the Twitter handle or the phone number. I talked with uh, Stott, Todd Steverson uh, yesterday about the success that Avisel Garcia has had at the start of this season. To me, he looks like a different hitter in some regards, but in a lot of others, he looks like the same guy. And to that end, I mean, he's using the opposite field and hitting to it for power the way not many guys do. There are good things and bad things about that approach. Avi, so far, has managed to find all the good things about it. And in the meanwhile, he's also been able to, or has also exhibited, some better plate control, some better plate discipline, I guess, than we've seen over a long period of time. Uh, For Avi, specifically, I mean. And, you know, I've talked to guys like, well, I talked to the hitting coach, Todd Steverson. You'll hear that in a few minutes. I talked with Darren Jackson uh, about what it means to be in a spot where you're locked in like this, what plate discipline really is in a guy's head. Sorry, Gene Hondo in the the loudspeakers over the top here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Um, Or whether it's it's just a, a zone that a guy gets into. So, that conversation played out, and, and we'll bring you that in just a second. But I, I do want to let you know, like, the way Avi has begun has been kind of it, – it's been impressive. And to a point where it's measurable, I guess. 
his O-war is measured by baseball reference, offensive war, right? I mean, you know the war number. It's the number that boils a player down to just one stat. And while it's not everything, it's pretty decent in making an evaluation of a player in all aspects. War, by baseball reference, usually factors in defense a little bit heavier than a war that fan graphs might compute. They're slightly different algorithms, but baseball reference tends to lean a little bit more heavily on defensive performances. A stat like offensive war, O-war for short, tries to glean the value of a player based just on the offense, right? So by that measure, we're able to, you know, take, still still takes into um, a bit positional, um, the positional scarcity, right? You know, if you're a shortstop hitting X, you're maybe a little bit more valuable than a first baseman hitting the same number, obviously, because that position is so much, uh, this is so rare. With Avi, his O-War already this season is at one. We are, we're through 15 games. That number is ninth in all of baseball. It's just behind a couple of guys that you may have heard of, you know, guys like Trout, that, that kind of stuff. And to be at that level, obviously it's impressive. I don't think anybody expects any ball player to stay where Avi's at so far for an entire season Heck, he's hitting 400, and no one's that done that since Ted Williams. So, I mean, it's it's not something that you expect to stay at this level. That said, the patient plate appearances, the control the strike zone, the attacking baseballs that you've got a chance to do some damage with, all that kind of stuff, that's something you hope does stay consistent. And if you hit into a little bit of bad luck, after taking a, a measured plate appearance, after you know being in control of a couple of pitches and getting a, a pitch you can do some damage with and maybe line it to short or whatever, that's something that you can continue regardless of results. Easier said than done, but that's the general approach. And that's kind of what we talked about with Todd Steverson. Uh, actually, it happened to be James Feagan of The Athletic and I sitting down with Todd, and we wanted to bring that to you as, uh, as a reference point for what Avi Garcia has done so far this season. Here's the hitting coach, Todd Steverson. I've always said that the formula, to say it is simple, to do it is a lot harder to do. We be in, be on time, be in position, and, and get good pitches to hit. Uh, try to stay away from chasing as much as possible, make the pitcher pitch, and, and uh, be, be kind of steadfast in the approach you're trying to take and, and the pitches you're looking for. His, his approach is pretty heavy opposite field, at least power-wise. Is that... Is that harder to do than others? Well, it's always been him, though. Sure. Uh, throughout his career, you know, people always ask, when is he going to start to pull? He doesn't have to pull, really. Uh, he has to pull when, when necessary or, or if a pitch deems that. But if that's your strength, that's your strength. And uh, he's always been that since he was really in the minor leagues. And you don't want to take that away from him. A lot of guys are trying to get to learn how to go over there, and he's already got it in him. If he goes through a stretch where he's going right now, where he's just killing everybody going opposite way, do you worry he's going to get through a reaction from the league? They're going to try to bust him inside. It's going to show that he's able to pull a little bit and just keep him honest. If they throw you in, it's, it still boils down, is it a strike or is it not? You know, I mean, they can throw you in as much as they want to throw you in, but if they can't execute a strike in there, it wasn't some ball. You know, at some point, they got to come over the plate. 17 inches is where the strike zone is. And... Uh, you know, if people start to make adjustment on you, which they will, this league is an adjustment league. Uh, whether it be pitching or hitting, you got to do something different. Uh, but you also have to recognize, you know, what's what's good in there and what's not good in there. Um, the good thing about baseball is you don't know what he wants to throw and you don't know what you want to do. 
you know. So, you know, I might be looking in there. You don't ever know. And and he wants to throw it inside. I mean, it, it's it, it's a it's a vicious cycle when it comes to hitting and pitching. You know, they want to take away what you've been doing well, but they also need to execute on the other side of it. And you have to be disciplined enough as a hitter to say, hey, I'm gonna stay where I need to stay until I need to adjust. I was talking with Darren Jackson a little earlier this afternoon, and he was kind of mentioning that for him, confidence kind of bred plate discipline. It kind of flowed from that. When when you start not getting the results, maybe you hit into a couple of shifts or whatever it happens to be, how do you keep the plate discipline up where Avi has had it these first two weeks if the confidence isn't, you know what I mean, if the results aren't quite following the way they have been? Yeah, well, I mean, number one, you just look back on what you've done to this point. Okay. How did I do what, I, what I've done? Uh, and the process that it took, and the, and the, and the pitches that I've seen. I mean, we're in a we're in a electronic world. You can go back and look at every single hit you've got in the areas that they're in. And you look at every single out you've made and where the areas they're in. And then you know, if that can't tell you a lot, then and I don't know what what is telling you a lot. Uh, like I said, ninety probably ninety five percent of everybody that's ever played this game hits are all strikes. So. Yeah, that's that's there, there's that's a common there's a common denominator there, and he's been able to put a lot of them in play, and he's been able to uh, get lay off some some tough pitches and make them come over to play. So you think if he's disciplined up on the inner half, he should be able to work with this approach and you know be ready for strikes in the half so he can take center field and Well, if, if you go back, a lot of the he's hit inside pitches this year too. Some of these balls are inside. Yeah. Uh, they may still go the other way. That I mean, just because they're inside doesn't mean they have to be pulled. You know, so. The area is one thing. It's just, is it on the plate? Is it a strike? Can I handle him on time for it, really? And he's been on time, and, and he's got a good idea of what he wants to do. The consistency of it is always going to be the thing of, of, of any anything when it comes to hitting and baseball. Consistency has to be there. Uh, we go through periods of stretch, good, bad, or indifferent. But uh, if you know what you did when you're going good, you can always reattain it. When you see tape of some of the minor leaguers that we've seen the last couple of weeks, whether it's Mankata or Willie Garcia, guys who have really seemingly refined that approach, Garcia specifically, what's that do for you? How do you look at it? What do you talk about when you see that stuff with other coaches? Well, I mean, our younger players obviously going through the same process as anybody else had on their way up to the big leagues. You have to learn that discipline. You have to understand who you are. Uh, when you get to the big leagues, you want to know pretty much what you do and how, almost how to fix yourself sometimes. Uh, obviously, there's there's adjustments and there's verbiage along the way from us as coaches, but at the end of the day, you're down there, you're at the bottom practicing really to be really good when you come up here. And if your practice is good down there, you can, you can transfer it over to the big leagues. That's the hitting coach, Todd Steverson. Wanted to have a chat with him, and, uh, and thanks to him for, for taking a couple minutes out of his day yesterday to chat about Avi Garcia and the start he's had to this season. Avi, like a couple of White Sox last night, hitless. First game where Avi Garcia has not reached base in this season. He had a streak of 14 going to begin the year. He'll look to start another one this afternoon against Carlos Carrasco and the Indians. We'll take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll get to the you know the, the pitching side of the White Sox. Tommy Canely has been lights out coming out of the bullpen for the White Sox this season. And it's funny because... Tommy might not have started in the big leagues or, or might not have been in the big leagues at all to start the season if not for an injury to Jake Patrishka. He's here, Kane Lee is, and pitching really well. We'll talk to him and get to know him a little bit better next on White Sox Weekly. This is WLS AM 890. This is Gordon Deal. Join me weekday mornings 5 till 6 right before Big John and Ray on WLS AM 890. 
Sox fans and school teachers, Weather Day presented by WGN-TV is on April 26th. The White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals at 110. Prior to the game, join WGN-TV's chief meteorologist Tom Skilling for a fun presentation including weather videos, trivia, and more. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash WGN. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. Had a chance, we told you before the break, to sit down with White Sox reliever Tommy Canely. He's a goofy dude, always making noise in the clubhouse, keeping everybody's spirits up. And lately, he's been touching triple digits with the fastball. He's uh, been striking everybody out that he looks at. He's had a real good run, and I don't know Tommy Canely all that well. At least I didn't before yesterday. thought you might want to get to know him, too. Here he is, my sit-down. Oh, and by the way, he made a joke. I can't tell you what it was. He made a joke right as we started this thing. So I'm I'm laughing when it begins, but it's it's because Tommy's pretty funny. Here you go. So we're sitting down at White Sox reliever Tommy Canely here, hanging out in the dugout before you guys open a three-game set against the Cleveland Indians. Tommy, I don't mean to be a foot, but you weren't supposed to be here when the season started. And now you get to a point where you're striking out 20 per nine. I don't know if you've looked at the number, but it's really great. How What's it been like the last two weeks? i got to imagine, has your head settled in one spot? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel great lately. And uh, I, did a, I made a few tweaks towards the end of spring, and uh, it's really helped out, I mean. And then when I got that call before uh, that the second game they had here, I was uh, I was actually really happy because uh, I wanted to show them the you know what I what I fixed down there and stuff. So I mean I'm feeling good. What were you going after to fix? What specifically did they send you out to go take care of? Um, it was basically everybody knows that my fastball command you know is a little spotty sometimes, but there's a, I made a few uh, adjustments with uh, like my legs I should say, kind of my delivery, and uh, I mean it seemed to work. It was more of a a shortened leg kick, okay. I guess. And uh, I started to uh, use also keeping my head straight towards home plate because I usually have a ten- tendency to fall sure, off. Sure. Yeah, so I worked on those two things, and I mean, it's starting to work. So as you come over into this organization, I mean, I don't. Are you aware of when you when you came over here the White Sox reputation for? pitching prowess and getting guys through to the big leagues, especially what they're able to do with a lot of relievers that have come through? Um, to be honest, no. I I mean, I didn't really know anything about the organization before I came over. So, yeah. I mean, so far it's been great. So, yeah, I, I mean, mean, I have no complaints or anything. i got to imagine you get caught up pretty quickly on that because there are a lot of guys in this organization that know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it seems that way so far. So, I mean, I've just been doing everything right and... I mean, it's working out right now. It's a good place to be. I, I wonder then, you know, if you're, as, as you go through last season, you know, the last couple of weeks of, uh, what would that have been, September. Yeah. Working really well. Things are going mm-hmm. well for you. And you, Robin started putting you in some fairly high leverage spots. Yeah. Is that, you know, where where do you find your comfort when that kind of stuff, when it's on the line like that? Um, I mean, really, I just tune everything out. Yeah. Yeah. My f- main focus is right on the catcher. That's it. That's all I'm looking at, and I don't hear anything outside or whatever. Does it, as you and come I, in from the bullpen, do you, do you start getting that going then, or when does it finally hit? Yeah, when does it arrive I mean, at you? That run that I come in is really when I start to really lock it in and <laughs> get it going. So what for you is, when you're not, if you're not playing baseball, what's your, what's your gig? What is your... <laughs> uh, I really love watching football okay. and uh, playing video games. What are you? What are you playing? What are you on the sticks uh, with? 
play a lot. Uh, from Call of Duty. Sure. Uh, FIFA, Madden, yeah, everything. Have you NHL. seen there is a new Call of Duty coming out in November? Yep. Just as the off season is over, you already know it's, yeah. it's the world. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Pre-ordered and everything? Oh, uh, not yet, but I will. Do you play MLB the Show? No, I'm terrible. I used to. Are play. you are you mad because you're bad in the game? Yes. Or are you mad because you're bad at the game? I'm bad at the game. Okay. <laughs> you're okay in the game. Oh, I, I guess I don't know. I've never. <laughs> Why are you? How are you bad at that game? I can't hit in the you game. You do it for? Yeah, I can't. Hit. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, I, I physically cannot hit in that. All right. Game. All right. So FIFA is your FIFA is your online. I would game, say I would yeah. Okay. And your college football team is Notre Dame. I mean, I knew that, but I just, <laughs> yeah. I know other people. Ed Farmer talks about it all the time. Yeah, all he's the time. a big Notre Dame guy. Your locker last year was next to JB Shock. Yep. Who and was an Ohio State guy. Yeah, we, we dashed a little. I, were there physical confrontations? <laughs> no. Seriously, were there physical confrontations? <laughs> no. You're aware that uh, Derek Holland is a huge Michigan guy. Oh, I, I'm very aware of this. So does the groundwork get laid for fall now? Oh, Or you yeah. just kind of let things go? And No, there's a little, you know, sure. a little pushing here and there right. at each other. I mean, spring games start, yeah. you know, like next week, two weeks. Uh, actually, tomorrow. Not Nate. that anyone's counting. Well, it'll be today when this airs. <laughs> okay. So you're going to be... Okay, so spring game is literally today. Let's say this airs at a, yeah, 3 o'clock, something like that. Will you have watched it? And is that going to be something you DVR? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> and your expectations for the quarterback spot at Notre Dame now that Deshaun Kaiser has left are? I mean, I like Wimbush. Okay. Yeah. Because right. uh, a couple years ago, I mean, you came in for those couple of those games. That's right, yeah. He looked good. I mean... Hopefully it's, it's the real deal. Did you play football in high school? Yeah, a little bit. Where at? Or uh, at what position? I mean, a lot, to be honest. Uh, linebacker, tight end, safety, quarterback. Do you like defense or offense more? Uh, defense. Because you get to hit people. That's right. <laughs> I kind of figured. So when did, when did baseball take over as your one thing? You know, Or did you not have to specialize until a little bit later? Uh, I mean, it was always, I always knew baseball was my number one sport. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... I love football as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then I played basketball a little bit. Did so. you did you start as a uh, – when did you just start pitching? When did you put the position mm. player thing? Oh, as soon as college. Okay. Yeah. They asked me to hit, but I said no. Did they? Yeah. Because you can't hit in the show? You <laughs> no, like, I, just, I just didn't want to do the, the two-way thing. It's just too much. What made you pick hitting over pitching? Oh, I'm sorry, pitching over hitting. Um, To be honest, I really don't know. Okay. <laughs> but it was your choice. It was yeah. the choice that you got to make? Yeah. Interesting. Well, it seems you've made the right one. Yeah. 98-99 works out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. One more before we let you go. Do you, and we're trying to ask uh, as many people this as we can, your favorite player growing up? Any sport? No, uh, baseball. Baseball. If we oh, can stick with Barry it. Barry Larkin. Why, were you a Reds fan? Yeah, I was a Reds fan. Okay, so that makes sense. God, he was good. Yeah, he was. All right. Appreciate you sitting down, man. Nice <laughs> yeah, getting no to know you. Second half starts, well, right now, I guess. 5.35, we start the pregame show, and first pitch at 6.10 with Ed and DJ. Uh, they'll get the ball about 6 o'clock or so. We'll get you set for this ball game. White Sox and Indians this afternoon here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Again, 6.10, first pitch. Mike Pelfrey making the start for the White Sox. Carlos Carrasco goes for the Indians. Not the first time the White Sox have seen Carlos Carrasco in this season. It'll be the second go-around, in fact. A lot of divisional play for the White Sox to start this season. They have played uh, 15 games, of course, and 12 of them have been against the AL Central. So it's been a lot of interdivisional stuff. Only three games against the Yankees outside of this division. And it's going to be even more divisional play as this homestand continues. 
The White Sox will host the Royals for three after the Indians leave. And then more divisional stuff. When the White Sox take off, April 28th through the 30th, they get the Tigers. Then it's a four-game set with the Royals before they finally, at the end of the first week in May, finally play their second team outside of the AL Central. That's the Baltimore Orioles. Of course, right after that, it's a three-game set with the Minnesota Twins. So it's just a lot. It's a lot of familiar opponents early on in this season. And uh, and it's been kind of enjoyable to see where the AL Central has stacked up so far. It's definitely a, a clumped-up division right now. Nobody outside of two games away from the leader. The Indians at 9-7 and seven own the top record. They share it, of course, uh, right up at the top early on. So we'll see how things shake out. Uh, we had some pieces of news to start the show for you. In case you're driving to the ballpark, I suppose you're probably in the car now. Maybe you missed the first hour or so. We had some good stuff for you and some information about the. Well, here's Gene Honda over the loudspeakers here at Guaranteed Rate Field. I believe the gates of the ballpark are about to open. Uh, so if you're headed in, you get to hang out with us pretty soon. I can tell you this much. The funnel cakes and uh, the onions and everything, it smells wonderful here at the park already. So get yourself in and get yourself a nice meal. Uh, I know I will soon. So 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Now is your time to hang out with us if you've got some thoughts on the White Sox early on this season. Uh, let's get you the, the lineup for today's ball game. Tyler Saladino leading off. He's uh, playing second base. Tim Anderson. Hitting two and playing shortstop, of course. Melky Cabrera bats three, switch hitter there. He's in left field. Jose Abreu is DHing this afternoon, this evening, depending on where you put 610 on your calendars. Todd Frazier is at third. Avi Garcia is in right. Cody Ashey at first base. Giovanni Soto back in the lineup can catching. Lurie Garcia is in center field. Interesting little tidbit. Ricky Renneria told reporters this just a little while ago, and we'll bring you everything, all the latest from Ricky in the pregame show, we start that at 5:35. Mike Pelfrey, this afternoon's starter for the White Sox, and Giovanni Soto met for the first time today. It's the big leagues, and and when you get called up, at, at least you've got this. With Pelfrey and Soto, both of them have been around the block a little while, so you know understanding at least for Soto to understand what Pelfrey's going to work with and how he likes to throw shouldn't be as tough as, you know, guys with less experience working together for the first time. But it'll certainly be a little bit of a journey. Uh, Pelfrey throws a little bit of a sinker or a splitter or a slider. He's got a curve that'll flash every once in a while. And, of course, you know, the fastball that sits right around 92, 93, something like that. But he's a sinker-splitter guy with a slider to finish things off. Uh, and, and the White Sox have seen him, Sox fans have seen him work before. He's thrown a couple of good ball games against this club and in this ballpark. I remember one or two last year uh, with the when he was pitching for the Tigers. He was able to shut down a White Sox lineup pretty well after he had had kind of a, a bumpy season last year as it was. Rick Hahn had talked yesterday with reporters about the decision to bring up Mike Pelfrey as opposed to, you know, let's say Lucas Giolito or Carson Fulmer or even Tyler Danish. And he mentioned a couple of things. First and foremost, he stood by the idea that the White Sox – aren't in a situation or aren't willing philosophically, I suppose, to bring up one of those top young arms and throw him in for a start or two at the big league level. That's not where they're at this season. That's not where their thought process is. And I get that. I I like that kind of steadfastness to the plan. 
Instead, the flip side of that coin is, at least from from Han's point of view, when they bring up one of those guys, whether it be a you know whether they bring one of those top profile guys up, they want him to be able to stick. They want the long term to be in front of him. They want that uh, opening for many many starts to be there. And whether that's you know later in the season when rosters expand, whether that's next year when the rotation looks different from what it is now. Whether that's due to a trade a little bit later on in the year, you know, we'll just have to kind of wait and see. Obviously, the White Sox have stated their desires for this, you know, this coming trade deadline and how they'd like to work their retooling of the team. That's all pretty obvious and out there. Uh, with James Shields going on the disabled list for, and we we played it for you a little bit earlier on in the show. He's, you know, it's he's in discomfort, but doesn't seem to be in a whole lot of pain. And really, it, it looks like sounded like the impetus to put him on the disabled list was more so about, you know, if you're out there and only able to go one inning, well, we just threw Swarzak the other day. He's kind of the long guy. Dylan Covey is going to work for us in a start here or there in the next couple of days. You know, what do you do to that bullpen? You know, you could theoretically torch a guy, maybe two, in the worst case, three, if you were to go out there, not feel yourself, not be able to get through, you know, 40, 50, 60 pitches, something like that. You know, it would really set you back, and now you're looking at making perhaps two roster moves just to get somebody, you know, a fresh arm up to make that next start or whatever it happens to be. So, 10-day DL, good decision by the White Sox, better safe than sorry here. And you bring up a guy, a veteran, Mike Pelfrey, who signed not long ago, just after the season started. Pelfrey was signed to the minor league deal. He comes up to make his start. Perhaps he makes one, maybe two. Remember, it's the 10-day disabled list this year, not the 15 we're used to. So, you know, depending on off days, and the White Sox have one coming up on Thursday uh, after a three-game set with the Royals, you know, you're able to kind of move things around a little bit, and perhaps it'll only be one turn through the rotation that James Shields will miss and be able to go to the post the next time around. It's the first time on the DL for Shields. He was less than happy about, you know, having to put one of those on the record, but it is what it is, and you've got to help the ball club you're on. You know, he seemed to understand that, no doubt about it. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. We're going to spin it to a quick break here because on the other side, uh, as we do every single White Sox weekly, Rachel Brady gets a chance to sit down with the White Sox player, coach, front office guy, something like that, and get to know him a little bit better. This week she talked with Miguel Gonzalez, and she did. she talked with him the day after he threw 86 pitches and shut down the Yankees for eight and a third innings of what ended up being one-run ball, but that was an inherited runner allowed by David Robertson. Fantastic performance by Miguel Gonzalez. Probably the best game I've ever seen him pitch. Rachel Brady's got a conversation with him. Coming up next on White Sox Weekly, you have WLS AM 890. Unfortunately, in this day and age, it's very difficult to know who you can trust with your home mortgage. Hi, Barry Sterner, founder of Townstone Financial. I'm here to tell you that nobody values your home purchase, refinance, or reverse mortgage business more than Townstone Financial. I guarantee it, and I own the company. Remember, Townstone cares and can help you complete a cash-out refinance to pay down your high-interest credit card debt, or we can help you reduce your interest rate if it's currently over 4% on a 30-year fix or 35 on a 15-year. So give me a call today at 312-896-2110. In many cases, we can save you thousands of 
$1,000 by paying off your high-interest credit card debt or completing a no-cost refinance to lower your current interest rate. Do yourself a favor and check with Townstone before you refinance your mortgage or start a new home purchase. Since 2002, Townstone has beaten the big banks on closing costs and interest rates almost every day. So call 312-896-2110. That's 312-896-2110. Or go to Townstone.com. That's T-O-W-N-S-T-O-N-E.com. Townstone Financial is in Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Illinois Mortgage Licensee, 6629 and MLS, 136639, Equal Housing Lender. Hey, Steve Harvey here. Now, I've been told I know a thing or two about surveys, but I was really interested to learn the answers the Illinois Emergency Management Agency gave when asked to name the top five items every Illinois family needs to have in their home's emergency disaster kit. Water, non-perishable food, a weather radio, and of course, a first aid kit. There's no need for a family to feud over what to include in your kit. Get the answers at ready.illinois.gov. Sponsored by the Illinois Emergency Management Agency, aired in cooperation with the Illinois Broadcasters Association and this station. Hi, it's Bob Surratt. And Marianne Marciano. You might have heard us talk about the amazing benefits of the world's best probiotic, Natron's Healthy Trinity, on our show. Listen to these real-life-changing Healthy Trinity probiotic results. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Faber. I'm a gastroenterologist from North Carolina. I use the Healthy Trinity products personally and recommend them for my patients for several reasons. One, they do represent three of the best strains of probiotics available today. Next, they're manufactured and shipped cold to guarantee potency of the colony-forming units. And the capsule is an oil matrix capsule that protects the bacteria from bile and acid in the stomach. So if you're suffering from any digestive issues, then you have to try the world's best probiotic, risk-free, Natrin's Healthy Trinity. Call 800-509-0988 right now for your 90-day risk-free trial of Healthy Trinity. Plus, the first 50 callers get free second-day delivery. That's 800-509-0988. Or go to natrin.com. That's N-A-T-R-E-N.com. And enter promo code WLS. How would you like to flip a contract on a house overnight for a nice profit? Hi, I'm Nick Fertucci. For the last three years, my elite team of house flippers have used my unique three-step flipping system to reduce risk and make money flipping houses. I'm growing my team in your area, and I'm looking for help. I have more cash available than deals right now, and I can show you how to get up to $350,000 of pre-approved real estate funding. That's right, I said it. $350,000 of pre-approved real estate funding, regardless of credit score. Interested candidates, call now and get an inside peek of my flipping system. I'll rush you out a free copy of my Fortunes and Flipping CD kit that will show you how to get in, get out, and get paid when you come join my team. Call 1-800-214-1496 now to get your free Fortunes in Flipping CD. Call 800-214-1496 now, and you'll also get free tickets to a live training workshop that includes a free meal, a free smartwatch, power charger, and USB drive loaded with powerful information as free gifts just for attending. Call 800-214-1496. That's 800-214-1496. Call now. On Earth Day this Saturday, the Home Sweet Home Chicago Show and AM 890 WLS will broadcast live from the Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church, 4543 South Princeton Avenue in Chicago from 10 a.m. to noon. David Hochberg, host of Home Sweet Home Chicago, will be joined by representatives from the ComEd Energy Efficiency Team as they make energy-efficient improvements like switching out lighting, weather stripping, and installing occupancy sensors. Come out and learn about saving energy and money with the ComEd Energy Efficiency Program and CARE Program, which offer programs and services to those in need. This is Gordon Deal. Join me Monday morning, 5 until 6, right before Big John and Ray on WLSAM 890. RBI Baseball 2017 returns with a fast-paced pick-up-and-play MLB action. Packed with all your favorite MLB teams, players, ballparks, and much more. Get RBI Baseball today for Xbox, PlayStation 4, and mobile devices. Learn more 
at rbigame.com. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got a conversation with Miguel Gonzalez and Rachel Brady coming up for you in a minute or two. J.J. Stankovitz of CSNChicago.com is going to join us right after the 5 o'clock news. And, of course, we've got your White Sox pregame show starting at uh, 5.35 this afternoon. we got the White Sox and Indians here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Your chance to be a part of the show all afternoon, 312-591-8900. 312-591-8900. Head out to the phone lines now in Aurora. It's Tom. What's up, Tom? Hi, guys. Hi, Connor. Um, hey. I'm glad that you're doing the pre and post for the White Sox. I've always been kind of a fan of your updates when you were on the score and stuff. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, I just want to ask, I know the Sox are rebuilding, and I can handle all that, but what I can't handle is it seems like they're deliberately not putting their best nine on the field with regularity, and hmm. that they're treating um, like Leori Garcia and Matt Davidson, who have shown to be performing much better then Ashy and May, and they're treating Ashy and May like they're the starters, and these other guys like they're the bench players. Even though these other, even though Davidson and Garcia are just doing way better. I mean, um, like for example, Leori Garcia already has five extra bases, including a home run. Jacob May doesn't have a hit. Period. I mean, right? I, think I mean, Davidson situation speaks for itself too. I mean, it's like, come on. All right, fair enough. Tom, I, I don't think they're deliberately not playing guys. That would be, you know, kind of a, I don't know, to me that's a, a little bit of a stretch. For what it's worth, here are the numbers coming into today's game. Matt Davidson has 36 plate appearances. Cody Ashey has 35 plate appearances, so that's a dead-even split. Ashey is in the lineup today. Uh, Carlos Carrasco is going for the Indians so I think, you know, as, as a right-hander versus a left-hander, I'm looking at Carrasco's career splits. They're pretty even, righties versus lefties for Carrasco, but he's, he's a little bit better against right-handers than he is against left-handers. So, you know, perhaps you go for that platoon kind of advantage. I think Ricky Renneria has, well, let's finish off with May and uh, and Lurie Garcia. Jacob May has 30 plate appearances, and he is, yes, hitless, of course. Tom, you're 100% right there. Lurie Garcia has 31 plate appearances, so again, dead even split. There's been even playing time for both guys. I So it's it's not as though the White Sox aren't getting equal opportunities for a number of those guys. Whether you want to see equal opportunities for those players, that's that's your thing. You know, that's that's whether that's that's what you want and what you want to watch. I understand that Matt Davidson has been a blast to watch. He's got a ton of pop, but he's also struck out. Um, let's see here. It's 17 times in 36 plate appearances, 34 bats. The strikeout rate, and I, we knew this about Matt Davidson. As good as he's been, the strikeouts are going to be high. I think for a manager like Ricky Renneria, who at the start of this whole thing has mentioned that he wants to get all those guys toward that back end of the roster, the guys who are trying to be everyday players, Ashy, Davidson, May, I'm probably forgetting Lurie Garcia, He's looking to get those guys in the lineup to keep them fresh and ready to go and, and used to facing live pitching. I don't think and, – and maybe this will be – maybe this is tough. You know, maybe this is a spot that White Sox fans haven't necessarily been, and I don't you know necessarily speak for Tom and Aurora, but perhaps this is it. The, the Sox have been in a position the last couple of years with Robin at the helm and a stated goal of, of making a push for division titles even last year. Although the results haven't been there, there have been – clear starters on this team 
guys who deserve the at-bats, who need to have them in order to succeed. And it's a little bit different this year. You're trying to, and it's it's been this way for a lot of different clubs throughout the big leagues when they when they decide to go down the path the White Sox have chosen. You've got to get playing time for all these guys. And that can be a little frustrating to watch in as much as, you know, if somebody's struggling, like Jacob May, who's come up as a 25-year-old and had his first taste of, of live Major League Baseball and, you know, MLB pitching, hadn't gone well for Jacob. But that doesn't mean you give up on the guy. I mean, you've seen, you, you know where the White Sox are at center field-wise. You look at that depth chart and go down the way. Charlie Tilson just got moved to the 60-day DL. Lurie Garcia is the other guy, and yeah, he's flashed some extra base pop, but that's not really been who Lurie's been over the course of his career in the minors and up up through the major leagues when he's had a chance to play up here. Adam Engel hadn't gotten off to all that great a start in Charlotte and is still a young guy, as is. Willie Garcia just got moved over to center field the other night at Triple-A Charlotte, and it's his, you know, pretty much his first taste, and I don't, I don't think you'd paint Willie Garcia as the prototypical defensively or archetypical, I should say, center fielder. So to give up on these guys would be, in my mind, even a worse crime than than trying to split the playing time the way Ricky has in order to keep guys fresh, in order to put them in places to succeed. That is without a doubt, other than maybe managing a major league bullpen and making sure you're making the right calls there and keeping guys fresh on that side and getting the right matchups and knowing when to warm guys up, that is a ridiculously difficult task for a major league manager. Other than perhaps that, to my mind, the next toughest piece of, of managing in the big leagues is making sure that you're finding the positions, finding the matchups for your players to succeed. I'm, I'm talking about offensively, of course. It's monumentally difficult, even with a shorter bench than we used to see in, in the major leagues. Even with, you know, deeper bullpens and 12-man pitching staffs, you've got one fewer guy, one less guy on that bench, but still a myriad options to, you know, to pinch hit, to make your moves, all that kind of stuff. And in the American League with the DH, there aren't as many opportunities as there are in the National League. I mean, you're sliding in a hitter probably once a night, Probably more than that, actually, now that I think about it. You think about the average pitching changes in the, in the game. You're, you're probably sliding in two pinch hitters a night, on average, if you're in the National League, just for that pitcher spot. In the AL, it doesn't happen. So you've got even fewer opportunities to kind of mix and match and get those bats you know, up to snuff and able to face live pitching like this. Uh, Tom, I, I get the frustration, but I think the frustration is more so that you know Cody Ashey and Lurie Garcia just haven't gotten things going yet. We'll see if they do, but they're here on this 25-man roster, and as Ricky Renneria has said to start the season, if you're here, we're going to use you. We're going to see what we can get out of you. So I think that's where they're at now. I, I can understand the frustration, as I've, as I've mentioned, um, but I suppose that's that's my long answer to a, to a short question. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. Tom, certainly appreciate the phone call, man. You're welcome anytime. For the fifth year running, the White Sox Charities Car Raffle is back by popular demand. Enter to win a White Sox-themed Mazda 3. Buy your raffle ticket today for a chance to win. Thank you to our friends at C.J. Wilson Mazda for their support of the Sox Car Raffle. Visit whitesox.com slash soxcar. That's whitesox.com slash soxcar for more details. All right, we'll do a little programming here on the fly. We're up against the 5 o'clock news, and I've taken... 
uh, a little bit more time than I'd wanted to talk about uh, the lineup and the way things have been constructed. Tom and Aurora wanted to know about that. So we're going to bump the Miguel Gonzalez interview back to around, well, the last segment of the show, 5.15-ish, something like that. We're going to scoot to a break. We'll take the 5 o'clock news. And after that, J.J. Stankovitz of CSN Chicago is going to hop down to the booth. We'll hang out with him for a little while. I had a good story on Nate Jones and his being uh, he's the last guy on this White Sox team that was here when Philip Umber threw his perfect game against the Seattle Mariners five years ago yesterday. We'll chat with him about that and about the rest of the White Sox and what he's seen going on here at the ballpark. That's all coming up. You've got White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. This is WLS AM 890. Mayor Daly's greatest hits because he turned 75 on Monday on our Connected to Chicago podcast at WLSAM.com. So welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLSAM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and you can join the White Sox on Tuesday, May 9th for Nurse Appreciation Night presented by St. Xavier University. All Illinois nurses and their families and friends can join can join and enjoy a specially priced ticket package. Sorry, I was just getting over the fact that if you're a nurse or your family or their friends, you will get to hang out at the ballpark on May 9th. The package includes a game ticket and a special White Sox scrub top for the first 1,000 fans. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash nurse or call 866-SOX-GAME. Uh, we're joined now by J.J. Stankovitz of CSN Chicago. I don't, do you have a, a friend or a family member who is a nurse and could take part in I this? I do. I have a cousin who's a nurse well, there who you could go. take part in this. Yeah. In this lovely giveaway on May 9th, uh, you get a free White Sox scrub top for the first 1,000. Of course, the giveaway today, I don't know if you've seen. These are sweet. These are these are slick is what they are. It's White Sox. It's a hooded sweatshirt giveaway night. I've uh, There are a couple up here in the booth. I can't tell you why, but there are a few here. They're very, very comfortable. <laughs> They're very soft. It's a good wear. It's good stuff that they're giving away at the ballpark this evening. So get yourself out here if you're on your way. Uh, JJ, we do not have you here to talk about scrub tops and hoodies, though I'm sure we could for quite some time. Uh, you, your latest piece on CSN Chicago was uh, talking to Nate Jones about the perfect game that Philip Umber threw mm-hmm. five years ago. First, where were you when Philip Umber threw his perfect game five years ago? Uh, Notre Dame Stadium, okay. covering the Notre Dame spring game that year. Okay. That was an interesting viewpoint. That it is. <laughs> I was uh, I was in Houston. I was going to my first ball game. I was visiting family. Um, I was in Houston and going to a ball game at the, the juice, juice, juice box there and heard and was watching it on my yeah. phone. Yeah. yeah, so I talked with Nate Jones yesterday, and uh, Nate, Nate Jones, surprisingly, he was surprised with this. He's the only current player who was there with the White Sox when Philip Humber threw a perfect game. That is... I mean, that just shows how much turnover can happen on a baseball roster. It's yeah. been five years. But I, I asked Nate Jones, you know, what were your memories of that? He, you know, you're only three weeks into your pro career, and all of a sudden your teammate throws a perfect that game. Soon. It was God. that soon. And he said, th- this was funny, he, he told me that in about the fourth or fifth inning, he starts getting up and stretching between innings. You know, like he, he didn't have a defined role then. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the eighth inning guy. He wasn't the closer. He didn't know when he would come into any game. And he said... You know, I start stretching a little bit, and Hector Santiago yells to me, "Hey, Nate, why don't you sit down?" And he goes, "No, no, 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 I'm okay. I'm, you know, I'm just stretching, just you know, not throwing." He said Santiago said it again, "Nate, sit down." He said at that point, he looked up at the scoreboard and goes, "Oh my gosh, I, I'm." And he, he was, you know, joking, and he said, "You know, I, I'm glad I didn't jinx it by stretching." And you know, baseball players are the most superstitious. Oh yeah, athletes there are. The the last thing any of them want to do is jinx a teammate's perfect game and. Luckily for Nate Jones, his stretching didn't uh, impact Philip Umber's slider and 
perfect game that day. Well, I know some guys will, uh, you know, if you're if you're pitching and you look up and you see action in the bullpen, you start to think to yourself, right. oh, here we go, yeah. I got a so short it, leash. It's more than a jinx. You yeah. know, you know, Phil Umber could have looked in the bullpen, you know, and a guy who was up and down in his career uh, just really started to establish himself as a major league starter that year. And, yeah, if you looked in the bullpen and saw Nate Jones warming up, he could have been like, well, wait a minute, I'm throwing a perfect game. What, yeah. what are they What are they doing? What is uh what what did Nate remember about Philip that that night or that you know that was going on that day? Was there you know was there talk in the bullpen? Did they not? Did they, they talk bullpen, about it? No silence. We, I I asked him if the words "perfect game" were ever uttered in the bullpen, and he was like, "Absolutely not. We would never do that." But he you know he said in the bullpens in Seattle are out in left field. That's right. Yeah. So he said you couldn't really see a whole lot except the depth, and he said just the the depth of Nate Jones's slider or mm-hmm. uh, of Philip Umber's slider that day. Yeah was really, really good. And he said, you know, I know A.J. Pruszynski has said this a couple of times before, but that the slider that Philip Umber had that day was the best slider maybe he's ever caught, uh, certainly that Philip Umber has ever thrown. And that's why you go to it on the last pitch to Brendan Ryan, oh, whether or not goodness. Brendan Ryan swung, still a bit of a, a point of contention. I was reading uh, Joe Poznanski had a good piece looking back on it on Friday on MLB.com. And mm-hmm. uh, he, he said that he asked two people, did Brendan Ryan swing? One guy said absolutely not. One guy said absolutely yes. Really? So, who, you know, 50-50 call. Who uh, knows? The, the fact, I mean, that pitch was so outside. The fact that it even looks like he could have right. swung tells you a lot about what absolutely. he was dealing with absolutely. that day and what yeah. he was throwing. It's pretty impressive stuff. Uh, what else is, is cooking for you on the on the White Sox beat as you're out here this weekend? I know uh, a conversation with Ricky Renteria while we were on the show had a lot to do with Mike Pelfrey and Gio Soto, I mm-hmm. believe, this will be the first time that they've – well, yeah. it'll definitely be the first time they've ever worked together. Right. Brand new kind of venture out here this afternoon. Yeah, Soto's off the disabled list. Uh, you know, Rick Renneria said on Friday that he was throwing to bases. Everything seems to be all system goes there. Um, yeah, you know, you throw a veteran catcher back there with a veteran pitcher. I mean, you know, we were looking at Mike Pelfrey's stats before mm-hmm. coming on here, and he's thrown over 1,000 innings in the majors. He's had some pretty good years uh, back with the New York Mets at a couple of years of the sub-4 ERA. Uh, but as someone who's up here because the White Sox don't want to turn to Reynaldo Lopez or Carson Fulmer or Lucas Giolito, I wrote about this uh, Friday on CSNChicago.com, that when those guys come up, the White Sox want them to stick. They, they're not, you know, spare part fill-ins, essentially. Whereas, you know, James Shields might only miss two starts. He said, you know, it's a very mild strain. It's something in the past he might have pitched through. Right. Uh, it doesn't sound like this is a big deal, this lat strain. So you don't want to call up Reynaldo Lopez for two starts. Maybe he throws 12 shutout innings in those two starts, and then you have to send him back down, and he's thinking, well, you know, what else do I have to do to stick in the majors? You want him when he's up, he's up for good, and you don't. There, there's not a thought in the back of his head of if I pitch, you know, no matter what I do out there, I might get sent back to the minors. I think that's that's a really good approach that the, the White Sox are taking. And it's it's not surprising. We've heard from Rick Hahn for months that patience is going to be the, the operative word with these guys, whether it's a starter, whether it's Yohan Moncada, Zach Collins down at the lower levels of the minors. They're going to be very patient with these guys, and that's what we're seeing right here. Talk with J.J. Stankovitz of CSNChicago.com. You can find him on Twitter at J.J. Stankovitz and all of his stuff on CSN. Chicago.com. I think I just, yeah, that's the website. That's I've mentioned the website, it indeed, yeah. times now. Um, so I guess, so what is the flip side to that coin? Because, okay, let's let's play devil's advocate. You do bring him up, and he does have success in the big leagues. You know, we, we allow these prospects to, not just the White Sox, but all over the place, you know, come on up for September, have your cup of coffee, 
do whatever you got to do, and then we'll see if you've got a roster spot in spring. I mean, that's essentially the philosophy mm-hmm. then. Why why is it different in the middle of the season or, or in the yeah. beginning of the season? Well, because you already have a, a set rotation going into the year. You have, you know, Derek Holland, uh, Jose Quintana, uh, Miguel Gonzalez. You know, you, you have these guys already lined up to start for you. Mm-hmm. And there's there is odd as it may be to say there there's not an opening for Lopez or Giolito or you know any of those guys whereas you call them up in September it's getting toward the end of the year you might want to limit Quintana's innings or you know someone's innings it's different when you have a whole off season to shape your rotation and obviously though you know they will be part of you know the consideration for it but in April when you have all these guys lined up to start you don't want to disrupt that that that's something that Rick Hahn talked about on Friday that you know, you don't want to disrupt the, the the way the rotation's currently set up. You don't want to knock a guy back a day or maybe have him pitch, you know, on, on shorter rest. So I, I think that's part of the, the calculus that the White Sox are going through with this move. We had a phone call from Tom in Aurora a little bit earlier on in the show, and he was kind of asking for hoping, for pleading for more playing time for Matt Davidson and mm-hmm. Lurie Garcia. Obviously, Jacob Mays struggled to start his major league career, and it's been a rough go for Cody Ashey. Would you believe it if I told you that, Lurie Garcia has one fewer plate appearance than Jacob May, and Cody Ashy has one fewer plate appearance than Matt Davidson. Both of those mm-hmm. guys, you know, those pairings yeah. have been almost exactly split playing time-wise. What have what have you seen from you know the guys who have struggled? Those two, <laughs> Ashy and, and mm-hmm. Jacob May, and what are the prospects of, of mixing everybody in? Because I know that's a yeah. tough thing for Renneria to do. It, it is, and you know, you mentioned the the balance in plate appearances. Whereas, you know, I, when I tweeted the lineup out, I had some people tweeting at me wondering, you know, why is Cody Ashy back in the sure. lineup? You know, ultimately, your Rick Renneria is trying to put his players in the best positions to succeed. Carlos Carrasco is an awfully tough right-hander. Yeah, we. I mean, we were, we were talking about this. He, in spring training, I think the White Sox tagged him for eight runs, but he was only throwing fastballs that day. So White Sox hitters could go up, and it was like batting practice, knowing what was going to come. You know, it, you, maybe there is a drawback to starting Matt Davidson against a hard-throwing right-hander who's got really good off-speed stuff. Maybe it's almost more detrimental to to start him instead of Cody Ashey. Um, you know, as for Jacob May and Larry Garcia, Jacob May's just got to get his first career hit. and. Yeah. He, he certainly deserved to get it last night oh. when he hit that smash down the, the right field line, and Carlos Santana just kind of flopped onto it, and it wound up working out. You know, that that's one that's got to be pretty frustrating for him. But, uh, you know, you're, the White Sox are trying to figure out what they have. They're trying to figure out if they can rely on Larry Garcia in center field a little bit more or if Jacob May can get his first career hit. Maybe that sparks him to a little bit more success at the plate. You know, it's a tough balancing act, especially early in the season for a manager and you're trying to get all these guys involved, um, you know, whether it's Garcia or uh, May in center or, you know, trying to get Davidson and Ashey in a designated hitter. Looking through uh, the box score, the last time Carlos Carrasco faced the White Sox, of course, that was back, back on April 11th. He went seven innings, gave up just four hits, one earned run, uh, pretty good. The game score was 72 Pretty decent outing for uh, for Carlos Carrasco. It's his second time out in this big league season. Before we let you go, and and I know we're we're up against it here. So, um, your thoughts? We we talked about this during the Miguel Gonzalez. This maybe this is a pet project of mine. I don't know. We talked about this during the Miguel Gonzalez uh, night against the New York Yankees, where he was just fantastic. And we I just mentioned it here with Carrasco and the game scores. Do you like? Do you use? Uh, 
like strange advanced metrics? Are there pet metrics for mm-hmm. you as a, as a baseball writer, as guys who are trying to get you know that depth of field when you're mm-hmm. writing about games? Is there one that you particularly use? How do you feel about yeah. game score particularly? Uh, I like game score. It's it's kind of a you know a, a quick and dirty way to sort of say okay. How far above, like, 50 did they get? Right. Um, it's not one that I like to use in game stories a lot just because it does take a little bit of explaining. Right. If you don't know what game score is, there is a lot of there are a lot of moving parts into it. What I, what I personally like doing, because I, I am more on the advanced stats side of things, I like taking the advanced stats, so like FIP, for example. But maybe I don't put out there that, okay, you know, Jose Quintana had a 3-2 FIP last year. Maybe I say he was really good at limiting his walks and home runs mm. and getting strikeouts because that's essentially what FIP is. It's a really intuitive stat, but, you know, not everyone is as in tune with those numbers as, you know, us in our sort of baseball media bubble may yeah, be. Yeah, do it every day. Yeah, sure. so, you know, try to present it in a way that is accessible but still gets the point across to the people who maybe know, oh, he's probably referencing FIP here. I'll, I will say this, Brooks Baseball the the website that has all the pitch FX and all Love that, it. that is a go-to post game because you can see how many fastballs someone threw, how many strikes they got on it, how many swings and misses they got got on it, how many times that ball was put in play for you know a base hit. And that stuff is really, really valuable when you're trying to break down someone's start. And I, I think that's, you know, the, the advancement of some of these numbers and the accessibility of it is really incredible. I've, I've talked about it on the postgame show a lot, and I don't mind giving away the tricks or anything like this because it's, it's out there for everybody. I use Brooks Baseball every postgame show mm-hmm. just to make sure that I saw what I thought yeah, I exactly. saw. Yeah, exactly, right. I mean, and I've, I've talked about it a lot. You know, the press box here at guaranteed rate is down the third baseline. Uh, down the first baseline. I'm looking the wrong way. So, obviously, tough for you to see, you know, firsthand, not on the replay, exactly where things got thrown. I have a much better seat behind home plate. I don't mean that in a, you know, in a haughty way to hold it over <laughs> or anything. But I'm closer to behind home plate. And the difference between where I sit for the game and the 30 feet to the right, 30 feet closer mm-hmm. to home plate that Ed and DJ sit, you see so much more. It's yeah. exponential. So, there are great resources like that to make sure that. What you thought you were looking at mm-hmm. really was what you looked at. And I have to imagine that's invaluable. Oh, absolutely. When you're going down to, yeah. the, to the clubhouse, when you're talking mm-hmm. to guys afterward to make sure that, you know, you're talking about what they actually did. Yeah, and, you know, there are a lot of times where one pitch yeah. will decide a game, and you can go to Brooks Baseball and pick out that pitch and then yeah. ask about it, and there you go. There's your story. JJ, appreciate you hanging out. As always, great to have you on White Sox Weekly. We'll say goodbye, and when we come back, we got Miguel Gonzalez hanging out with Rachel Brady. Oh, we were just talking about Miguel. Hell of a game score the other night at New York. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly, WLS AM 890. Closing things up here on White Sox Weekly. Sox and Indians getting started in just a little bit. Pre-game show at 535. But as promised, Rachel Brady has an interview each and every White Sox Weekly. And uh, she had a chance to talk with Miguel Gonzalez right after he uh, he shoved against the New York Yankees. Let's not make it out to be anything it wasn't. It was a fantastic outing here. It's Rachel Brady and Miguel Gonzalez. Welcome to White Sox Weekly. Thank you for joining us. Great start yesterday. What's been clicking for you recently? Um, I think uh, the fact that we have a great team and um, everyone's getting along and uh, we have a great manager, great uh, a bullpen coach, uh, pitching coach, and I think uh, everything involves with all that. Uh, everyone has a has a um, an ability to 
to try to do the best we can every time we go out there. And that's what we've been doing. We've been playing some good baseball. Do you think this team has been underestimated lately? I'm sure we're the underdogs, and I like the fact that they call us that. Um, I like to be the underdog, and um, hopefully towards the end of the season we'll be on top and we'll be able to celebrate many times. Uh, Almost so like that, a that chip was, on the that, shoulder, that's right? What we're trying to, that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And Avi Garcia, your bud, talk about his performance. Wow, he's amazing. He's like the Nintendo right now. He's just hitting the ball <laughs> everywhere. Um, in the gaps, homers. He's not trying to do too much. Just staying inside the ball. And it's just been fun watching him play. And that's what it's all about. Everybody's picking each other up. Some guys don't have a great day, but there's other guys that are picking other guys up. And then that's what that's what White Sox are all about. You were there last year. The transition to this year, new manager. Is it having Renteria in the clubhouse that's really created this, like you said, uh, team bonding? And you said everyone's getting along and, and everyone's having fun. Uh, do you guys owe it to him? Um, well, we, we understand that uh, Ventura, when he was around, he was more laid back and everything, but he was, he was a great person. Um, he he made us obviously, uh, you know, do our job the way we, we go about our business. Um, didn't really want to get into, like, the players a lot, but uh, – Having Renteria around, he's, he's, he has a lot of energy. That's that's the big difference um, where uh, he he makes us laugh and uh, we, we interact a little bit more with him. He does it with us as well. He tries to keep us loose. And it's just it's been fun having him around. Uh, I think it's a good fit for the team right now. We have a lot of young guys. He's been he's been doing that before as well. He's, he when when he was with the uh, Chicago Cubs, so he knows what what he has to do to keep us loose and in the game every time to go out there 100. percent And personally, for you, you have some good news on the way. A baby on the way. When's the due date? Yeah, <laughs> um, August 30th. Uh, that's what that's what we know right now. We're not sure exactly the day that it will come, but it's around that time, and uh, we're we're so excited. My wife, um, our little one, Leah, she's she's very excited too. Uh, yeah. Waiting for the for the baby to come. Do you know the gender yet, or have you told anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's going to be it's going to be a boy. So uh, yeah, it's a blessing in the skies. We're we're excited for for the date to come. And right now, everything's going so well. My wife is uh, doing good, and, and the baby as well. So we're we're excited. That's amazing. Now, Avi, a baby boy on the way as well. Do you know the due date? Are they going to be buds? <laughs> I think it's I think it's going to be around the same time, which is uh, which is crazy. But um, yeah, it should be in August, August, late August as well. So New fans in the clubhouse. Exactly. That's for it to come, and uh, I'm sure he's excited as well, his family too. So um, can't wait for the day to come. 
off the field, I hear you have a talent. You're quite the singer. Uh, where did that start? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can we get a taste a little bit? Is it mariachi music that you sing? Yes. Um, yeah, I love I love mariachi music. Um, I grew up with it. My whole family listens to it. Every time we have a barbecue, we have a get-together, a party. Um that's that's what we do, and ever since I was little, I would hear it all the time. My dad singing, um, my uncles, so it, it runs in the family, that's for sure. So that's White Sox starter Miguel Gonzalez. Our thanks to him and Rachel Brady for the interview there. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. I'd also like to thank James Fegan of The Athletic, J.J. Stankiewicz of CSN Chicago, Todd Steverson, the White Sox hitting coach, and Tommy Canely, reliever for the White Sox. All of them joining the show today. Thanks so much, though, mostly to you calling and texting and tweeting. Thanks for listening. You can enjoy White Sox baseball from the comforts of the Guaranteed Rate Club while providing your guests with the ultimate all-inclusive White Sox experience. This private club is the best way to entertain your most important clients, employees, friends, or family, and are available for season ticket packages or individual games. For more information, call 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com slash premium seating. I'm Connor McKnight. Stay tuned. The pregame show starts in five minutes. Sox and Indians right here on WLS AMA 90.